Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Sample. And this is episode 20 of uh, this podcast. Actually, it's the 22nd that we record, but we lost a couple on the way. <laughs> on the way. A <laughs> couple of fatalities on the way. And the thing is, we just spent, what, 20 minutes trying to sort out recording problems? Yep. And uh, as you were saying, you know, we're supposed to know how this stuff works. <laughs> no. But I find interesting how this is not just about people recording podcasts. I mean, these days, everybody is uh, on a video call or an audio call. And I keep saying all kind of problems. And yeah. sometimes I'm, I'm starting to get a bit annoyed, to be honest. I mean, yeah, when me you too. have people with bad audio or, you know, bad video... It, it doesn't take a lot to do a, a better job, but... Uh... So, yes, with, with everybody using video, even, and, I, you know, I, it's one of the many ways in which I can become a grumpy old man quite quickly, but, you know, video is sort of overrated in the same way as face-to-face -face is overrated, you know? Pe people like video on conference calls because they think it's like face-to-face, -face. Um, but it's not. I mean, there was a fantastic video that we should share in the uh, the links of if meetings were carried on in real life the way they are on <laughs> video conferencing systems. And it is truly hilarious. But it's things like, you know, I was doing a video call this morning with somebody in, in Australia and moving my window for the app and the windows within the app of the two different speakers up to the top of the screen and minimizing them so that they're small, so that what I'm looking at when I'm trying to make eye contact with it is as close as I can get it to the camera at the top of the computer. Mm-hmm. Because people don't do that, and, and they always look a bit shifty because they're not quite looking at you. And and then other things people don't realise is if they're trying to sort of if they're being distracted by something else on their computer, you can see their eyes wandering. You know, and frankly, if that's what they're doing, I'd rather not have the video. It's, it's not helping. Yeah, I use two screens, and of course the camera is on top of my Mac screen. And uh, often when you use video uh, screen sharing. Um, I have this shared screen of the person on my other screen so I can actually keep the faces near the camera. But of course, yep. then if I'm watching what they're sharing, I'm kind of watching away. Right. It's, uh, I think it's a whole new etiquette to some I was going to say it's an etiquette, yeah. I mean, like, like this morning I said, look, I'm about to look away. Don't take it personally. I'm just looking for somebody's name. It's, uh, yeah, probably that's right. It's a little bit like when you look at your watch, you have to tell them that you, you have received <laughs> yes. a notification and you're not tired of them. That's right. Yeah, and that oil in the wheels is, is again fascinating with all these people currently experiencing it. And, you know, I don't think they need all these emails that are going around, you know, 10 top tips for whatever. Um, but maybe they do. I don't know. Anyway, times are changing. Uh, as a time stamp note for you know, when somebody will listen to this in the future. <laughs> Why would anyone <laughs> want to do that? Well, if um, survives, Paolo. Yesterday evening, the Prime Minister was moved to an intensive care unit. Um, so, and, and I have finally received uh, his letter this morning. Right. Right. Um, I think that I'll burn it. I think it's the only safe thing that you can do. <laughs> um, but yeah, things are changing, and I think there are 
a lot of interesting thing happening. Something that I I actually I posted on my blog uh, a couple of days ago, but I think I only got two readers, so I can repeat it here. I was one of them. Uh, there is a, there is a, so there's only one person I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to be quite as harsh as yeah, it. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> probably my wife. Um, it's um, I I heard this interesting podcast series called Planet Money, uh, produced by NPR. And it's always very interesting, 20 minutes episodes about uh, stuff related to economy. And they uh, were talking about a, a partnership that just happened between a small company in Seattle that makes ventilators called Ventec and General Motors. And uh, it is very interesting because you, you could hear the CEO of this small company said, you know, we get a call and this, you know, the government told us to call you. We are your new partner. We're General Motors. And at first it was, you know, what can General Motors do for somebody who makes ventilators? I mean, they're a car company, right? And uh, what emerges is that uh, General Motors is a car company, but mostly is this massive supply management marvel. They can um, find parts all over the planet very quickly. They have contacts everywhere. General Motors buys from thousands of uh, manufacturers all around the planet. So with the help of General Motors, in a very, very short time, they were able to go from 200 ventilators a month produced to having uh, um, parts enough to manufacture 200,000 ventilators. And then yesterday was a post by Tim Cook saying how Apple is going to be providing 20 million masks that they have designed and that they are manufacturing through their, their, their supply chain. And I think it's interesting because if you look, I mean, at least General Motors, they do something. But in the case of Apple, Apple doesn't do anything. They don't have their own factory. Maybe they have a factory when they do Macs, but most of Apple products are actually manufactured by other people. What Apple has is the most amazing supply chain. I mean, there are moments when they, if you think that there are moments where they manufacture up to a million iPhones a day. Yeah, incredible. And distribute. Yeah, exactly. They, they make them, they package them, they ship them, and they and, and then you buy them and you order them one day for the other. So these huge companies have this amazing infrastructure in place that of course they can deploy on anything they want. So if they if you need masks, they can make masks. They can they can solve a lot of different problems. And yeah, I thought it was interesting. It was, it's actually something that, I mean, I was aware of the supply chain. I was aware of the need, but I hadn't put the two things together. And it's fascinating how these huge companies can actually solve some of these problems. Yeah, and it's not just the sort of equivalent of greenwashing. You know, it's not just a PR exercise. I mean, they are <clears throat> delivering, you know, really needed stuff. Um, so, it's, you know, it's because we, we, we will probably perceive corporations and technology differently as we come out of this, you know, and how we consume. I was talking to somebody earlier on today about the engine that makes us all stay busy is the desire to buy more stuff, and but we've all got more stuff than we actually need. And being an optimist, that's one of the things I'm hoping people learn out of this enforced thinking hard and being stuck doing nothing much else but thinking that we might consider 
why why we do the things we do and but that then opens up the can of worms of how we regulate those industries and who regulates them and the fact that they are they're global and they've got immense capacity but also immense power i think that one of the problems is that they also have immense cash reserve which means that uh, they can weather the storm much better than small companies and potentially much better than government yeah so if there ever was a moment for a power grab of sorts you know this is it if you are a huge corporation with a huge amount of money you know you have leverage yeah and one of the concerns at the moment is that the those cash reserves allow them to survive when a lot of the smaller and middle-sized companies go under currently because there's not enough support for them. Exactly. Um, and, and that grabbing thing, again, on a call today, was somebody was saying that already some of the insanely wealthy folks around the world are buying up pl- a, a, an area of land for them all to live in. It's like the worst nightmare gated village, <laughs> you know, the, the size of a country sort of thing. Um and that's apparently already happening, just just in case things go completely tits up. I remember once having a having a lunch with a, a friend of mine, Vinay Gupta, a mutual friend of ours, Vinay Gupta. Mm-hmm. Um, Vinay almost literally reduced me to tears about a dystopian future that he was anticipating and how, at that time, it was the the lack of water uh, and and global warming that were the issues. And he was saying, you know, the powerful and the wealthy will do what it takes. And the first groups of people in the first areas they will look at to have, you know, a way of replenishing oxygen or whatever will be the forested areas of Africa and the Brazilian rainforest. And they will just not care about the people in those areas. And I was thinking, oh, this is terrible, you know. But then he talked about armed defence. And I don't know, violence isn't that means to an end. And he was just saying, well, you know, you're either on my side or you're not. <laughs> and I thought, dear God, you know. So, but, but, you know, this is a whole other world that we're just teetering on the brink of at the moment. And, you know, what, one of the funny things was that the Queen, I thought, did a really good job. You know, I mean, the oh, Queen's like good it. at what she does. And I thought her speech was fantastic. Well written, well delivered, timely. But it was at the request of the government. And, you know, happened to coincide with the announcement of Boris going into hospital. And it was almost like I wasn't worried till the Queen made a speech, <laughs> you know. But that signaled the fact that they're scared. You know, they're, they are clearly concerned about civil unrest possibly emerging out of some of this. And that, you know, tightrope we're walking between our willingness to collectively... So I wrote a post that I called One Conversation at a Time and, and, and it was off the back of that. And thinking, well, if it all falls apart, what is it that's falling apart? And actually, culture and society are us. And we build that one conversation at a time. And we can always do that. We've always done that. But we're sort of suckered into thinking that we don't have as much power as we do actually have. And so as long as we are mindful of the kinds of conversations we have with each other and about each other, we could survive without ending up in some dystopian nightmare. But we'll need to try hard to do it, you know? (laughs) I think think that what is interesting about this crisis is that... uh, we are seeing on one side the potential of uh, you know networking and people figuring out things and helping each other on the other hand you also see the need for 
something like the NHS, which is a highly structured, yeah. highly centralized thing. So, you know, yes, we are the society, but we're not going to do you and you, the me and you, the NHS. You know, we need experts and we need the structure. No, but the, but the NHS over the years has been centralized in its own. You know, the, the hospitals have become enormous. My local hospital has closed down. Uh, I mean, yes, in some respects, that's because of the need to focus resources but equally that becomes a point of failure you know that that's the weakness you know there is an interesting episode of uh, of uh, planet money right after the one i mentioned about the cost of hospital beds which is also very interesting they explain why the number of hospital beds have been going down over the years and why mm-hmm. this is good but in italy for example the Public healthcare is managed at regional level, and uh, in this crisis, it has been a colossal clusterfuck yeah. because uh, it was not coordinated. Yeah. Different regions have uh, had different strategy. There, we don't even know what they are measuring. I mean, there is some regions where they test the people that have symptoms. There are other regions where they test uh, everybody, so you can't even compare numbers. So. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's uh, you know I I think that both situations have uh, pros and cons. The the fact that here they were able to say okay I mean locally they decided that of the two hospitals that there are in this borough that is dedicated to COVID nineteen this one is not so we're gonna redirect resources from one to the other. I mean mm-hmm. you can do these kind of things if you are clever. I mean it's not easy, but if you are able to manage this uh, complex infrastructure, then you can actually have uh, pretty good results you can have a good impact there, there are some merits in being a large organization oh, yeah. in, you know in the same way as we're saying what apple is doing or what uh, amazon is doing is doing with the infrastructure this is stuff that they can okay. do because they're huge and because they have uh, the they have figured out the complications of this whole uh, system and they have over their years refined and refined and refined them um you know we would not be able to build an iPhone just between ourselves, no matter how clever we are. No, that's for sure. And, and in fact, I, another post I wrote, I called them the best of all worlds because the trick is going to be doing things on a large scale and centrally, you know, doing the right things in the right way at the right time uh, for, for the right reasons, you might as well add. Um, and I think part of what, again, is positive about this set of challenges is that we have so many more options available to us as to how to do things and we've come through a period where everything was you know the whole fetish was to get bigger to soak up competitors to become global to to you know that the assumption was that that was what worked and the other assumption here in the uk was that privatization worked which again i think is being seriously questioned and the prospect of coming out of this with a better understanding of what needs to be shared and delivered at a state, national, whatever level, and what's better not. Um, or at least just having better informed conversations about that, because it's all been sort of ideologically driven until now. Well, I think that the truth is that, uh, you know, there will be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, we now have 
some of the largest companies that were ever built, which are technology companies, and they're actually benefiting from this moment, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, they seem to be very successful. They seem to work very well. On the other hand, we have small local level initiatives that are also working well and yeah. working better than the, you know, centralized, what the centralized government was able to provide. So I think I, food's a good, sorry, no. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm trying very hard, Paul, not to interrupt. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm noticing it. I actually... Have you noticed I, the awkward, I, I the pregnant that, pauses? I realize that I, I'm interrupting you more than you're interrupting me, so... Yay, result, I win. <laughs> Well, let's count this at the end. But I think, and we can keep that in, I think food's interesting in this respect, you know, and and some of the scary facts about how much of our food we import, always have imported. I mean, this was one of the challenges about the Second World War, that we just didn't have any grain, or enough grain locally. Um, But, you know, I've banged on a lot about the fragility of the infrastructure around food and the just-in-time stuff. And it doesn't take much for that to fall over as we saw with the toilet rolls, you know. Um, and I'm not saying we all, we all produce our toilet rolls locally, but again, it, it's, it's a fragility that we're building into the, the system. But it's also true that uh, I, I was at Waitrose this morning and there were plenty of toilet rolls. Oh, we recover. Yeah, we recover. Yeah. So the thing yeah. is that it, it was a glitch in the system and not only I bought toilet roll, roll but I also bought uh, artichokes from Italy and, uh, you know, Plenty of other stuff that was clearly fresh. Basic, basic food stuffs. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, we can't get, we still can't get flour. I can't get bread flour or yeast. That is the interesting thing about uh, flour is that uh, I read an article that we're saying the problem is not that we don't have flour. The problem is that the packaging of flour in one kilo packs is a tiny amount of the flour to get produced. The vast majority of flour is produced is actually sent to industry or to you know large bread manufacturers. Oh yeah, I think I saw that. The yeah. amount of bread, the amount of flour that actually people buy in supermarket is is a is a small percentage. So the problem is that the the flour industry is working at full speed and then they are providing flour to the food industry, yeah. but. Uh, all these big meals, they, they're not even structured to make small pack, packets for the supermarkets. So they struggle because, uh, you know, they can't do that. On the other hand... Well, since because I've, I've, tried, I've tried making bread so many times over the years that I had, you know, umpteen partially empty, well, not even partially empty, you know, almost completely full packets of flour mm-hmm. uh, in the cupboard, which, of course, I threw out recently. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this was something interesting at Waitrose, they had, uh, I think, 10 kilos bags of pasta. Wow. Which which I think they... That should keep they, even you going. They must have sourced somewhere, and uh, and if people really want pasta, they had. And plus, they had a couple of weird uh, pasta brands that... Like, they had a, a Pasta del Verde, which is an Italian brand that I had not seen even in Italy for a long time, but they had Pasta del Verde in a very strange shape like lingua which is not which means tongues which is not linguine it was lingua i have no idea what it was interesting um but it's coming i guess at the bottom line is that yes the the reason why we had a crisis was that a lot of people decided to buy a lot of stuff all at the same time apparently yeah. something like two and a half billion pounds worth of food were bought in 10 days like extra wow. food 
That's going to test test any supply chain, isn't it? Goodness exactly. Me. It's basically we had Christmas week without any preparation, and warning, usually, yeah. usually the the food industry prepares for up to four months for Christmas. Uh-huh. But if you think that uh, a couple of weeks later we were back to normal, actually, I would say this is a pretty solid and resilient system. It's interesting because I mean my normal concern about the food industry is when you take out the technology that allows them to do that you know so if you're going to fight a war don't worry building bombs just pull the plug on their mainframes um but you're right and and it's also another example of where we will learn from this you know there's that horrible thought that seems to be quite convincing that this is not the last time and it's going to happen again and even you know even the covid will have a number of resurgences but that we'll, we'll face these sorts of challenges sometime again in the future but the cleverness of business and you know this is what i saw doing the lorry driving the logistics industry is just the smartness of it and and the patterns that the data lets them see and that they can make better informed judgments about what to do with it i mean these are all the upside of you know we we can bang on about the downside of technology all the time but some of it's just incredible what it allows us to do. Oh, I, I say they're usually in quite in favor of technology, uh, except USB <laughs> microphones. I mean, I mean, we as a as a as a people, yeah. No, but it's a, it's a, I, I think that actually some of the of the challenges that we have faced in this recent you know last few weeks, and the way we've been coping with them shows that uh, yeah, you know, it's a pretty solid system after all, in the sense that uh, again, the food industry is a huge and amazingly complex uh, supply chain. And it is working. It's chugging along quite mm-hmm. nicely, and not just that, but people's, you know, people's the glue that holds it all together. You know, has been fascinating, and just people's willingness to help each other. And again, I wrote a post about this that the kindness and generosity that mostly is being exhibited online. You know, um, it, it, I mean, it's fragile, and and if things got too perilous, we might start tooth and claw fighting for ours against others but certainly in the short term i think it's brought people together um and again you know going back to technology that we've been talking about at the beginning about using stuff to talk to each other that old business that used to be you know face to face to face is the best form of communication i think a lot of people will be beginning to question that a bit um do people having parties and having quizzes and games and all sorts using you know zoom or house party or whatever it's it's fantastic oh it's uh, i mean i i see at work we are actually having a daily you know 15 minutes call at the beginning of the day where we all jump on a call and we have a quick chat on what's going on i mean honestly we were not having that when we were all working in the same office i mean we would just yeah. walk in the office say hi and sit <laughs> yeah. there and just drink coffee yeah. and you know check email so yeah. It is uh, it is changing and it is showing other side. I think that probably what is uh, what we should consider is that uh, in m- many Western countries, governments have been providing a cushion and support. So the, one of the reasons why we're not freaking out is that uh, mm. mostly we're not afraid for you know our livelihood. Uh, yeah. most of us i mean there are people with problems but uh, the fact yeah. that uh, you we are not in a situation where say you know we need to freeze the economy for a certain amount of time now everybody's screwed uh, 
I mean, that would probably create a completely different environment. After all, I think that yeah. it's amazing how well we're all taking this. It's like we're home. We're, I mean, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that I'm working and our company is actually doing exceptionally well, uh, mm. everything considered. But um, even if you're not the, you know, even if you're, even if your company is shut down, there are furloughs. There is this amazing yeah. amount of money that is being created and uh, and used to basically support the economy and say you know when we will come back we will be ready to go well but also if it's in a way it touches on some of the things we've we've talked about in the podcast previously about what happens when automation starts to decimate the white collar knowledge work population this is almost a practice uh, and if this allows us to be more comfortable with ideas like universal basic income. You know, it's fascinating seeing the America talking about this. And it wouldn't, wouldn't it be the ultimate irony if Trump presided over America becoming socialist with UBI? But that need to just provide a basic ability to live independent of work. Uh, if we get that sorted and do it properly now, then that will help us... Um, when, when other changes begin to affect us that, that change work. So you're basically saying that all these us white collar workers were working from home now and we're claiming that, uh, oh, nothing changed. We can actually work from home. Is that because we're irrelevant, it doesn't matter where we work. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <clears throat> you said it, Paolo. <laughs> <clears throat> well, but I think... Because you know, the important people are, are those who actually get, yeah... So you're saying that this whole shara, we could just skip doing it and get just get the money and stay home. Yeah, I'm up for that. Well, but I think that it is going to be interesting. You know, when the big companies start to go back and, and you know, many of them will be thinking, hang on, why are we paying for these big, expensive city centre headquarters and all that floor space for all those people to sit and stare at the computers when, hey, we could get them to do it from their own homes and save all that money. Um, and also the, what's it called? There's a book called Bullshit Jobs. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, the number of bullshit jobs that there are out there in the world. Uh, you know, that, again, these are the sorts of questions I'm sure people will begin to think a wee bit harder about from both sides of the coin, both the employed and the, and, and the employers. Um, but as I say, these are questions that I think we were going to have to face at some point anyway. Well, the thing, the, the fact that the system is uh, being shaken a little bit, uh, you know, stuff yeah. will change. I'm sure that there there will be a number of things that uh, we thought were indispensable, and we realized that oh, actually, you know what, we can live without that. On the other hand. As we have said many times, you know, it's it's all a matter of stories. I mean, yeah, the whole idea that the government is creating the money to support the economy is a story, in the sense yep. that uh, you know we're not really they all they need to do is say that they will do it, and uh, yeah. the the yeah. whole economy calms down and everybody like feels safer, yeah. and. Uh, and you know they will generate a certain amount of huge billions of so trillions of debt, and uh, and you know it will be paid eventually, maybe who knows? But in the meanwhile, 
everybody's sitting tight. It's a bit like I was remembering the other day there the first time I used Wi-Fi in my office in Digilab, and we got it quite early because of the nature of our job. <clears throat> and I was sitting there with a laptop downloading some software over, over Wi-Fi, and, you know, the progress bar's filling up, and it's giving me that perception that stuff is coming into my computer. And then I thought, well, nothing's kind of coming into my computer. There's some pulses, electronic pulses, that are being interpreted by the hardware of my computer to know which are zeros and which are ones. And off the back of that, I get the perception that stuff has ended up in my computer. Um, money's a bit like that, isn't it? As you say, it's just this story. And, and it's sort of, none of it's real. You know, the days when we used to carry big lumps of gold around with us have long gone. All of it's a promissory note, and that promissory note is is electronic. Yeah, and that's what fascinates me about countries going bankrupt because all of that is is a bumping up of their story against another story, <laughs> and a gap. You know. Well, I mean, comp- companies or countries going bankrupt is when other people stop believing in their story. <laughs> so true. That that is uh, all it really is. In a situation so like this one, I mean, again, I, I highly recommend listening to Planet Money because they have a number of episodes where they explain, for example, you know, where do $2 trillion come out from and, you know, how do you create that money and how does it work? And it's quite interesting because it's a, it's a very sophisticated system, but it makes sense that it works and uh, mm-hmm. it supports, it's a story that, we all believe into and that is why we're sitting here recording podcasts instead of you know running down the street yelling the revolution is coming the revolution is coming we're just muttering it quietly but i mean it's it is fascinating now that we have a global near you know global near instant near instant distributed conversations as, as the clue train called it now that we have this the prospect unlikely though it may appear at the moment of everybody all seven billion of us being able to go, you know what, this isn't working, begins to raise itself. Because the stories that put us at odds with each other, where we're zero, seeing a zero-sum game and we're, we're, if I can't have it, you can't either kind of mentality, is bonkers. And on this note... <laughs> <laughs> it feels not ridiculous to be talking about that. And this is a global pandemic. It's affecting every country in the world. Every country in the world is dealing with it to varying degrees of success. And we're all talking about that and seeing that and working out whether we like that or don't like that. Well, I, I think that what we don't know yet, and we'll have to see how it turns out, is that uh, while in Western countries, governments are changing, are telling us the story of this immense amount yeah. of money, in other countries, this is not happening, and the way they will be dealing with this might actually be catastrophic. Yep. So let, let, let's see how it goes. I mean, probably... We'll but that, that again, is another them and us story, isn't it? I mean, somebody was saying this the other day there, that we are risking crippling the economy of Western countries because we can't face the thought of a percentage of the people dying. And yet a significantly greater number of people die from malnutrition in Africa every day. But that's not a big enough story to make us all change our behaviours. Oh, and all this is absolutely nothing compared to what uh, global warming can cause, but uh, we're not worried mm-hmm. about that. 
but you know grandpa dying at the hospital that is uh, something everybody yeah it's again it's uh, stories and it's uh, how these stories are framed how people perceive them how close they are to home (laughs) I'm just thinking COVID might be awful but it's a blessed relief from Brexit (laughs) exactly it's uh, and you know so things are going to change are they we'll see who knows Watch this space. It's 42, by the way. What, the solution to... The answer to life, universe, and everything, yeah. And on this note... <laughs> we'll leave you all to sort it out while we're away. Goodbye, and we'll meet again. See you.